Hello, romance and fantasy fans, and welcome to Roma Corden's Bewitching a Highlander. I'm Kayla, and this is CamCat Unwrapped. I'll be introducing you to each of our episodes of Roma Corden's Bewitching a Highlander, a forbidden romance set in the historical highlands of Scotland, starring a strong-minded witch dead set on causing trouble and a future clan leader charged with keeping the peace. Brina is on a mission. She must infiltrate the hostile keep of the Campbells in order to free her imprisoned father. All she has to do is create a false identity, earn the trust of one of the most vile families on the Isle of Cole, and keep from being discovered as a witch. Seems simple enough. But when the future clan chief of a rival family, Egan, unexpectedly appears on Cole, Brina realizes that the Campbells are not the only ones she has to fool. Meanwhile, Egan is tasked with keeping the peace between the feuding families, the Campbells and the Dunbars, but finds himself distracted by the mysterious Brina. Will Egan discover her secret? And if he does, how will this impact Brina's mission? This unputdownable book sends sparks flying, igniting candles for witchery and for romance. It's a book to live in. If you find yourself loving this book as much as we do, CamCat Unwrapped is hosting a giveaway this week where one lucky winner will receive the full audiobook of Bewitching a Highlander for free. All you have to do to enter is subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, or newsletter and answer a quick survey, all of which are linked in our bio. Each new subscription is one entry, so make sure you enter for your chance to win this book to live in. Enjoy! If you don't want to miss a beat, listen to Bewitching a Highlander now on the audiobook platform of your choice. All our books are also available in print and ebook formats on camcatbooks.com or wherever books are sold. The first two episodes of every book can always be found on CamCat Unwrapped, but subsequent episodes will be available for free listening only for a short time after their release. So subscribe to CamCat Unwrapped, and if you love this story, you can support the author by buying their audiobook. If you're ready for magic and romance, grab the hand of someone you love and allow Bewitching a Highlander to transport you to long ago Scotland. Camcat Publishing presents Bewitching a Highlander by Roma Corden, narrated by Maura Quirk. Chapter One You have witchcraft in your lips. William Shakespeare, Henry V. October 28, 1747, Isle of Col, Scotland. Rena McRae's heart beat out of tune from the cacophony of their wagons rattling. Sixteen horse hoofs trampled the gnarled road, pulling them southwest toward the Campbell's Keep, a clan she blamed for most of her childhood miseries. Three weeks ago, she'd awoken from nineteen years of delusions, yet it was no less painful living the truth. Her parents had neither died in some horrific accident nor left because of her. 
Brina was, after all, the most deplorable witch the Macrae's and Maxwell's ever had the lamentable fortune to beget. Uncle Craig leaned over and gave her shoulder a gentle squeeze. The clumsy yet affectionate gesture grounded her. It rid her of her punishing thoughts. We ought to go over the plan again. She would always be obliged to him and Aunt Madeline. They'd been her guardians since she was six, although many times since then, despite the fact that she loved them both with all her heart, they'd made her want to either scream or blaspheme. Sometimes both. His familiar features reminded her of her mother's, his little sister. All right, but understanding the need to lie doesn't make it any less difficult, she said. Difficult it may be, but it will keep us alive. She huffed. He was too cautious. Or was she not cautious enough? Brina blinked up as the afternoon sun reconsidered slipping past horizontal puffs of clouds. Mayhap she herself should reconsider her decision to come here. No. Even if there was a remote possibility her father was alive, she had to attempt to find him. She had to free him. Her heart ached for all he must have endured. She'd believed him dead for the past nineteen years until three weeks ago, when lovable yet scatterbrained Aunt Madeline had let slip the truth. After suffering from dysentery and a bout of guilt, her aunt had blurted out that Ian might still be alive. Had Aunt Madeline known she wasn't at death's door, she might have been more steadfast in her secrecy. Craig and Madeline had insisted her parents wanted the truth kept from her all this time. The secrecy and deception might have been the stimulant for her childhood misery, but it hadn't been the cause. Nonetheless, it had resulted in long, wasted years. Her dream from the previous night replayed in her mind. Beloved Grandmother Sorsha, their majestic matriarch, had told her Ian had something to reveal. If Brina believed dreams were a sign of things to come, then it was a sign her father was indeed alive. But she didn't know if she believed in dreams. After all, she lacked the gift of second sight. The revered Sorsha, on the other hand, wielded her own gift of sight like a true proficient when she was alive. A chilled hollowness speared her innards, causing a shiver to run up her spine. It had been her tormentor since she was six. Often she paused and wondered what had slipped her mind, what she had forgotten. Perhaps she'd missed something. Then it would hit her. She hadn't missed anything, hadn't forgotten anything. Nothing had slipped her mind. It was only that her parents had vanished without a word, leaving an acute, aching void. She pulled her woolen arisade tighter around her shoulders and prayed not only that their scheme would work on the Campbells, but that she could rid herself of this ache in the pit of her belly once and for all. She gazed out the wagon as the panoply that was the Isle of Col rolled by. The crisp October breeze swept her cheeks as she eyed the chestnut-feathered corncrakes scavenging the beech-grass-infested sand dunes. Nature's russets, umbers and olives, always vibrant at home on the Isle of Skye, were starved for luster here on call. 
A lone angler in the distance slumped his shoulders in a small skiff, then gazed up at the sky as if beseeching heavenly bodies for a boon before casting a net onto the surface of the ocean. The earthiness of the damp ground below mingling with the briny sea air and the pungency of kelps filled her nostrils as she inhaled a cleansing breath. She was well acquainted with the pain of unanswered pleas. Well, mayhap the tide was changing for them both. When she caught the incessant tapping of her fingers on the side of the wagon, she pulled her hand back into her lap. I'll wager they don't even remember the name Beth McRae after nineteen years. Brina fought against the agonizing emotions that flooded her every time she said her mother's name. Craig's brown eyes looked back at her from beneath shaggy brows, the slight impatience that twitched his cheek muscles highlighting his wrinkles. That's a wager I'll not be taking, for the price of losing is finding our necks at the wrong end of a noose. George, her uncle's worker, flipped the reins up ahead with a sharp, practised snap. A throaty intake of breath escaped his mouth. Holy saints, it looks haunted. Brina's head snapped up to follow his gaze. The back of her neck prickled. Castle Carrick loomed grim on the horizon. George was as strong as a feral goat, but simple-minded. There are no such things as ghosts, she said. But from her sudden inability to swallow, she wasn't sure she believed her own attempt to assuage his fears. If the builders of this castle had meant to strike terror into its visitors, they'd carried out their goal to perfection. The shadows cast by Carrick against the backdrop of the setting sun stretched out toward them like crooked talons, warning them to keep away. She ignored the warning and said a silent plea that they were not too late, that her father was still alive. As they approached the castle's outer gates, Brina made out two menacing sentries dressed in threadbare tartan trues of blue and green, the colours of the Campbell clan. They were each outfitted with a sword, mace, and a flintlock rifle. Were they preparing for war? George pulled their wagon up closer to the gate, reined in the horses and lowered his head, awaiting instructions. It always caused Brina such disquiet to see such a large man lower his head like that. She had known George for close to a decade, since he'd come to work for Craig, and despite his broad, hulking body, he was the gentlest person Brina had ever met. When one of the sentries at the gate brandished his sword, Brina's dry gulp refused to be suppressed. His flared nostrils and squinting eyes made his pugnacious expression more acute. Did he wish to intimidate them? If so, he'd gotten his wish. The other sentry snarled, exposing crooked incisors as he scratched his crotch. Brina eased the tension in her face into what she hoped was a pleasant smile, even as her fingers curled against her damp palms. The squinty-eyed sentry scowled. What's your business here? I'm Craig Maxwell. I'm a healer and spice merchant. May we be of service to your clan? Neither Squinty Eyes nor Crooked Incisors was impressed by her uncle's request. Squinty Eyes spat on the ground, his scowl deepening. 
they sauntered to the back of their wagon and started sifting through their supplies. All of a sudden, he lifted his sword high in the air and brought it down in an echoing crash on the lock of a trunk. Brina gasped out loud in surprise. Craig jumped down from the wagon and stumbled towards Squinty Eyes. I'll show you whatever you wish, but there's no cause to break our trunks. Squinty Eyes raised his hand, still gripping the sword, and slammed the hilt down with a dull thud into Craig's jaw. Brina's body froze with horror. Her uncle teetered backward and fell to the ground, landing on his rump. Unc, father! Dread rose up her gullet as she jumped down from the wagon, almost buckling at the knees, landing with more force than anticipated. She ignored the approaching thunder of hooves and rushed toward Craig. She couldn't lose him too. She just couldn't. She took hold of Craig's arms and helped him from the ground. Are you hurt? Her uncle's mouth was open, his gaze flat. She took some of his weight as he leaned against her. He was in shock. There was blood at the side of his mouth, at the end of an ugly cut where he'd been struck. A sharp pang of fear speared her midriff as she reached into her pocket for a clean square of linen and, with a gentle touch, dabbed the blood away. Her uncle's worker approached them with hesitant steps. Brina sent him a cursory glance, noting the fear in his bulging eyes when he saw squinty eyes. George, why don't you remain with the horses, Brina said. His head bobbed. Yes, mistress. George understood horses, but he had difficulty with people. She returned her attention to Craig. She took hold of her uncle's chin, avoiding the darkening bruise that was now a stark contrast to his pale skin. She inspected the wound as she gently followed his jawline with her fingers all the way to his neck. Nothing broken. She closed her eyes and exhaled a breath of relief. Craig was a greying man of eight and fifty with a slim build, whereas Squinty Eyes was younger and more than twice the size of her uncle. Brina ground her teeth when another drop of blood fell from Craig's mouth. Her pulse raced with heated indignation. How dare this barbaric bully strike Craig? How dare he block them from entering this atrocious castle? It's not as if there were endless visitors clamouring for entrance. Losing her parents and years of this aching void pushed her to retaliate. But she couldn't. They were at the utter mercy of this insolent sentry to gain entrance to the Campbell's keep. He held their fate and her father's life in his hands, a fact he was utterly unaware of. As she tended to Craig, a loud snigger pierced the air. She swung around to see squinty eyes dangling a gossamer shift off the tip of his sword, right above the now broken trunk. He jutted his flaccid chin in Brina's direction as he addressed Craig. You let me have a roll in the hay with the lass and I'll let you in. Brina's eyes narrowed at the crude proposition. The insult dug in. Her heart rate quickened as self-preservation and a survival instinct unfurled inside her. The heat of it spread throughout her entire body like a wave of sickness, making her shake. You bastard! Rationality went out the window as she took two steps forward and dealt a resounding slap across the sniggering face of squinty eyes. 
He was caught off guard, judging by the way his mouth fell open and his head jerked back. His odious stench made Brina want to pinch the tip of her nose shut and breathe through her mouth. But then coldness sank into her stomach. Oh no, no, what had she done? She blinked, trying to swallow against the rising bile and stepped back. She would never forgive herself if they were barred entrance because of her foolhardy actions. She'd never done anything like that before. What was the matter with her? The earlier mention of a noose burned her ears. Squinty eyes recovered. He grunted and swore as he grabbed her. His grip like cold steel dug into her soft flesh. He wrenched her right arm forward. Her mouth tightened with defiance as she glared at him. Even as her right shoulder was at risk of dislocating under his granite hold, she held her chin high. She would not give this bully the satisfaction of seeing her cower. You brazen wench! How dare you strike me! His eyes bulged and spittle escaped from his mouth. She tugged and pulled to no avail as the pounding of horses' hooves reverberated in the air around them. Out of the corner of her eye, she glimpsed a towering, broad-shouldered highland warrior dismounting from the blackest stallion she'd ever seen. He stormed squinty eyes from behind. Chapter Two Egan Dunbar, future chief of the Dunbar clan, had always prided himself on his restraint of temper. This was crucial when commanding the most lethal retainers in the Highlands, men he trusted with his life and who now dismounted behind him in a sea of swirling tartan kilts and glinting weapons. It was a shock to Egan, however, that he now experienced difficulty with said vaunted control. Abhorrent behaviour by the ornery Campbells shouldn't come as a surprise to him, but somehow it did. His lips curled and heat surged through his veins as he grabbed the wrist of the Campbell guard. With deft skill, cultivated while fostering under the warlord Angus MacDonald, he twisted it back toward the man's shoulders. He utilised the guard's natural mobility as leverage. The man was gutless. Why else would he manhandle a lass? And not just any lass, but the McIntyre's bonny healer, Egan had met her several months ago on the Isle of Skye. The meeting was brief, but had ignited an esteem within Egan. If it hadn't been for the battle and his subsequent trip to negotiate prisoner releases from the Tower of London, he might have pursued her. But it was just as well he'd been needed elsewhere, for his father would have forbidden him from consorting with a low-born healer although Egan himself never quite understood the need for such division among the classes. Egan fortified his grip on the guard as his seconds in command, Dugray and Keith, advanced. He gestured with his free hand. Stand down. He wanted to enjoy a bit of practice after straddling his stallion Heimdall all day. The guard bellowed as Egan raised the pressure. The man lowered his head and whimpered, still maintaining a grip on the lass's arm with his other hand. But he discovered if he moved even an iota, the grip Egan held him under hurt like the devil. Egan himself had made such a discovery years ago, 
His foster brothers, Dagan MacDonald in particular, had taken great pleasure in restraining him in similar grapples during endless training sessions. Was it just a few days ago he'd been surrounded by the highlands, with their abundance of light, fresh clean air and snow peak bends that towered against the backdrop of bluish-white skies? Truth be told, squelching through a smelly peat bog would be preferable to this macabre isle. The stench was unbearable, the scenery dull, and the people less trustworthy than masked highwaymen. But he had orders to follow, despite his reservations. The Campbell guard ceased his squirms and bellowed, Let go! Who are you? What the hell do you want from me? I don't want anything from you, but I do wish to greet the lass you are in the process of mauling. The guard shoved Brina away. She stumbled forward, then righted her step. Good man, how thoughtful of you to allow me to have a word with the lass. Egan eased his grip on the guard, then released. He eyed the man, who grunted and cradled his wrist. The guard's contorted expression eased. The pulsating rush of blood through Egan's own veins slowed. But he maintained sharp eye contact with the guard. From his peripheral vision, he noted the second guard holding position at the gate. Excellent. He was more intelligent than his appearance suggested. A crooked scowl stretched across on the spineless guard's face, which somehow managed to make his bulbous nose even rounder. What's your business with the Campbells? The guard had relented, but he didn't like it. Egan drew back his lips in a smirk. He ignored the guard's question, and he swung around to face the fair Brina. While she'd faced down the guard in spectacular fashion, like a Valkyrie, she could have been injured. She didn't appear asinine or reckless. Several months ago, she'd facilitated their taking on the redcoats at Duntholm. She had also nursed Dagan's then-betrothed, now-wife, Eva Drummond, back to health. Had it not been for Brina's potent sleeping concoction administered to the redcoats' food, they would never have had the advantage that garnered their victory. He owed her. He let his features ease into a smile as the memory of their first meeting sauntered into his head. He'd seen her flouncing in the woods outside Castle Duntholm at point-blank range of a rifle-wielding redcoat. Chivalry had been called for. He'd rescued her from the blackguard by knocking the man out with a cudgel-sized branch. Now what in Hades was a skillful healer like Brina doing on call? Chapter Three The pinch in her lungs prompted Brina to breathe. She'd been rendered utterly speechless by the Highlander's skilled offensive move. He'd stopped Squinty Eyes's brutish body with quick precision. Then, when she'd been shocked by recognition and the fact that she was gaping at the striking Egan Dunbar, it had slipped her mind to breathe. No, not gaping. Admiring. Admiring? Squinty eyes must have shaken her with such vigour she'd become disoriented. Several months ago, Egan and three armies had showed up at the McIntyre's castle to negotiate their release from the Redcoats' siege. The Redcoats had trailed Charles Edward Stuart, leader of the Jacobite Rebellion, to the McIntyre's castle, 
Even though the Jacobite uprisings had been curtailed by British forces in the year since Culloden, there were still isolated attacks in the Highlands. Heat flooded Brina's countenance at the memory of their first meeting. Egan Dunbar had slipped out from behind the trees and disarmed her captor with a single blow. As rationality is always the first to go in a panic, she'd bolted. Egan had given chase, no doubt worried she would inadvertently alert the redcoats. He'd smoothly slid his arm around her waist to restrain her escape. His body had been hard, and his grip felt like she was being held against a warm monolith. Dagan had stepped out from the stealth of the woods in time to reassure her that Egan was a friend. He'd returned to his army, and soon after the battle, he'd disappeared. She'd speculated more than once if she would ever lay eyes on him again. Now as she gazed at him, rays of the evening sun gilded him in a surreal light as he released squinty eyes and swiveled around to face her. From the quality of his ebony coat with its silver buttons and embroidered cuffs, the Dunbars were prospering. The visible frilled neck and cuffs of his white lania were of the finest linen. Instead of breeches, as she might have expected because of the recent act of proscription, which proclaimed kilts illegal, Egan Dunbar wore a kilt of emerald green and cherry red, the colours of the Dunbars. The pristine garment ended at his knees, where his riding boots took over. No flimsy gillybrogues for this imposing Highlander. Are you hurt? His eyebrows were drawn together with concern. There was something about him that not only stunted her breath, but jumbled her wits. Just my pride, sir. Other than that, I am unharmed. She offered deference to Egan, surprised and pleased at the relative calm of her voice. His thick Rufus hair had golden hues as if sun-bleached. It had been pulled back in a queue. His blade-like nose, linear forehead and sculpted cheekbones had been darkened by prolonged exposure to the sun. He no doubt had an affinity for the outdoors. A whitish scar ran from his right earlobe down to his Adam's apple. She recalled that from before, and had pondered on its origin. Eva had commented that the Dunbars had Norse ancestors, and she decided Egan looked like a Viking warrior of old. Just the Viking helmet, a fighting polearm, and a wolf's pelt cape were missing. Goodness, she was disoriented. Then I'm relieved you are unharmed. Something coiled in Brina's stomach. What if Egan picked up on their scheme? It would be only a matter of time before the McIntyres found out. Would they still place their trust in her as their healer? Two weeks ago she'd given in to her curiosity, and had performed a sideromancy divination spell. She'd first practiced this spell a few years ago, in lieu of reading tea leaves, which she'd never been good at. The movement of the flame, smoke, and the pattern of yarrow stalks pressed against the searing iron frying pan had hinted at danger in connection with Col. Rena hadn't told Craig, of course. She hadn't wanted to dissuade him from making this journey but in addition to the obvious danger posed by the Campbells, could that danger refer to possible discovery by Egan Dunbar? We are much obliged to you, Master Dunbar. 
we meet again just as we're in need of assistance. He threw her an affable grin. Delighted to be of service. Brina went to her uncle's side and schooled her features for the lie. Master Dunbar, I'd like to introduce my father, Craig Maxwell. He is a healer from the village of Kilmuir. Egan considered her for a split second more than was necessary before amiably reaching out to shake hands with Craig. Let's not stand on ceremony. Please, call me Egan. It's a privilege to make your acquaintance. She shook her head. He couldn't possibly have remembered. Egan eyed both Craig and Brina. Whatever brought you to this wretched isle? Squinty Eyes' loud affronted snort behind Egan was ignored. We have herbs and spices for sale, and we also came to visit an old friend, Brina said. She let the second half of her answer fall in pitch to avoid Squinty Eyes' overhearing. How do you know my daughter? Craig directed the question to Egan, even as his eyes widened with interest at Brina. Your intrepid daughter aided us in bringing the Redcoats to the negotiation table several months ago at Castle Duntolm. As a result, we were able to get the McIntyre prisoners released. Ah, oh, yes, I remember Brina telling me of the battle. She also promised me not to be that reckless ever again. Those merciless redcoats kept her under guard the whole time, despite the fact that she was only there to help the wounded. Yes, I can think of a few choice descriptions besides merciless. It appears you are trying to gain entrance here. Would you fancy an escort into Castle Carg? You can properly attend to that cut inside. Egan gestured to Craig's bruised mouth. We'd be much obliged. Please, lead the way. Craig reached up to touch his bruised lip and winced. The colour of his mouth was darkening to a most disagreeable shade of purple. Egan gave a curt nod, then swivelled around to address Squinty Eyes. Inform your laird that Egan Dunbar, son of the Dunbar chief of Kintail and his guests are here. We seek an audience. A flash of unease crossed Squinty Eyes' face, but despite the way his Adam's apple bobbed, as he seemed to be having difficulty swallowing, he offered no apologies. He swung around and headed into the keep. Brina's gaze strayed toward Egan as he swaggered over to his men to exchange a few words. She recognized his squire, Alban, whom she'd met previously at the McIntyre's Duntolm. Her eyes took in Egan's easy-going manner and his strong and confident posture. It was clear from their attentive nods that his retainers respected his authority. Brina jerked her head away to consider the gates as her uncle's quiet voice snapped her out of her thoughts. The warmth of embarrassment settled on her cheeks. Had she been staring at the man? Do you trust this Egan Dunbar? he asked. She considered for a moment. From my first encounter with him, I gather he's loyal to his friends. Let's not put him in a position to have to reveal to Laird McIntyre that his healer has infamous parents. The McIntyres relied on her. They needed her healing abilities. 
and somehow that bond of trust had become sacred to her. She fully intended to do whatever it took to keep that bond intact. She'd moved to Castle Duntholm seven years ago, and now counted many of them as her closest friends, despite keeping a large part of herself from them. With Egan or his men escorting us among the Campbells, it'll hinder our search of the dungeon, Craig whispered. We can keep up the pretense of looking for an old friend. In the Campbell's dungeon? Egan Dunbar will certainly question that. We won't require their escort at all times. Mayhap it's best to look for my father in the dark of night, when both the Dunbars and the Campbells are asleep. Chapter 4 an hour later, the sound of their footsteps bounced off the walls of a narrow, musty corridor. The pitch of Brina's breath had risen, and her stomach churned with anticipation. No, not anticipation. Dread. Portmanteau in her right hand, she trailed after Egan alongside Craig. She held her head high despite the urge to make herself small. The absence of almost any lighting around them made her half expect to spot bats hanging upside down from the ceiling. The Campbells they passed on the way eyed them with a mixture of chilled stares and curled lips. It was no great puzzle why the rest of the Highlands considered this clan hostile. She valued the fact that Egan and three of his men escorted her and Craig as they followed Squinty Eyes, whom she'd learned was called Finlay. She prayed she didn't cast up her accounts now, for she didn't want to face the Campbell. She told herself it was because he would question the purpose of their presence, but she knew that wasn't the whole of it. Craig gasped out loud. Brina swiveled around in time to see him stumbling over debris lying in their path. Unable to right his step in time, Craig fell, landing on his knees, Brina dropped her portmanteau and was at his side in a trice. Poor Uncle Craig. Brina took hold of Craig's arm and was helping him up from the filthy floor when Egan trotted over to their side. He grasped Craig's shoulders to hoist him up, bumping against Brina in the process. Stark awareness tinged with something a little more tangible than interest shot through her body at its contact with Egan's. His body felt like steel that had been heated by a summer sun. She blinked and found herself staring up into the gold-flecked eyes of Egan Dunbar. The depths of those warm globes pulled her in. His scent, a mixture of soap, leather and the rugged outdoors, was undoubtedly male. Heat burned her cheeks and she quickly stepped away. Thank you for your assistance once again. Craig said as he brushed dust off his knees. Take care where you step, Egan said, eyeing Craig. Egan moved his gaze to Brina, giving her a cursory glance and resumed his stride behind Finlay. How long do you both plan on availing yourself of the Campbell's fine hospitality? Brina wasn't surprised at the tinge of sarcasm in Egan's tone at the word hospitality, she picked up her portmanteau and continued onward with Craig. As long as it takes to sell our spices, Craig said. Can I inquire with the Campbell after your friend? No, no. 
Heaviness sunk into Brina's belly as she shot a questioning glance in Craig's direction. He'd cried out at the same time she had. Egan's arched eyebrows left no doubt they'd piqued his interest, but he seemed to let it go for the time being. I don't anticipate staying on call for more than two or three days. If your purpose is achieved by then, may I escort you back to the Isle of Skye? Brina presumed Egan made the offer because he'd recalled she was dear friends with Eva, his foster brother's wife, and while his offer was gracious, even generous on its own, it complicated matters, considering their plans. We're yet unsure how long it will take us to unload our stock. Perchance we'll let you know in a day or so, Craig said. Of course. They navigated four flights of slippery stairs and turned into a chamber that served as the Laird's private solar. Two sentries stood guard, one on either side of the entrance, armed with lockabar axes, broadswords and flintlock pistols. One of the sentries scoffed in disgust as Finlay announced them. He needn't have bothered. It was already quite clear they were unwelcome. After they all gathered in the solar, the sparse chamber still held space for an additional fifty men. The furnishings consisted of a single discoloured trestle table with its single candle, quill pen, small inkwell and strewn about papers. Alongside it stood six equally run-down accompanying chairs, the tallest one occupied at present. She avoided looking at its occupant. The furniture looked hard and unwelcoming, like its users. Remnants of a single meal were spread on the table, as if the Campbell had eaten alone. The chill in the colourless room seeped into her bones as she eyed the water streaks on the ceiling and the dark soot stains above the two lit torches on the wall. Despite the spaciousness of the chamber, Brina felt boxed in, confined. That boulder of dread growing on her chest. Get back to your post! The command was sharp. Aye, sir. Finley scrambled to offer deference to the Campbell as he backed away. Wasn't it the unready who said when God closes a door, he opens a window? It seemed the door to the outer world slammed shut when Finlay pulled the door closed behind him. Her eyes followed the uneven lines of the brick wall to the single window. This eased some tension from her neck, not that she anticipated the need for escape through the high, narrow opening. She lifted her chin, straightened her back, and turned to face the man seated at the table, whom she'd attempted to avoid until necessity demanded it. Brina tried to push past the resistance at the back of her throat, but her mouth had gone dry. Egan stepped forward. Laird Alistair Campbell, we thank you for receiving us. I'm Egan Dunbar. Alistair Campbell looked to be Craig's age. His slim frame was half a head taller than Brina. His skin was wrinkled with an unhealthy tinge of sallowness. His thinning ash-grey hair clung to the top of his forehead and temples. The pinch of his lips showed nothing but disdain. His fashionable lania, waistcoat and Campbell-coloured trues spoke volumes. The rest of his clan, at least the ones she'd observed, wore nothing but threadbare garments. 
Did he also feast on mutton and venison while the rest of his clan chewed on dry bread? Brina took in a long, slow breath and exhaled in a controlled manner. She'd never expected this to occur. After all this time, she'd managed to come face to face with the man who'd taken her parents. Rancor oozed through every single pore of her body. It rose like acid to burn her gullet. I ken who you are. What do you want? Did you receive my missive? Egan's tone remained even. The Campbell's affirmative grunt metamorphosed into a series of guttural coughs as he rose and clutched the table. The hacking racked his frame as his shoulders curled forward. Was the man ill? Her healer's instinct battled her rancor. Well then, you're aware I'm here to discuss the deaths of two of my men. When the Campbell's coughs ceased, he straightened and took note of Brina for the first time. Who is the woman? Is she your mistress? Your layman? I don't conduct clan affairs in front of women. His scornful tone coupled with the verbal insult grated against the pain and anger that swarmed inside of her. Without knowing it, he'd managed to rid her of the last vestiges of her healer's instinct. The boulder on her chest made her tongue move like sand in her mouth as she swallowed. She took a long, deep cleansing breath and kept her chin high, her countenance amenable and her mouth shut. Craig Maxwell here and his daughter Brina are my guests. I expect them to be treated with some measure of decorum. Egan's tone was stony, despite his relaxed demeanor. Something fluttered in Brina's chest at Egan's defense. But mayhap his response was more about a male power struggle with the Campbell and less about defending her virtue. The Campbell replied with another grunt. More ear-splitting coughs followed. What ailment manifested in such coughing? Rena raced through a list in her head, starting with consumption and ending with winter fever. But then the heat of shame that should have assailed her for her aloofness to the Campbell's illness never came. You're championing merchants and healers, Dunbar. His sneer dripped with derision. His tone made the word healers sound unclean. Finlay had no doubt informed him of what they were and their purpose. Egan scoffed, narrowed his eyes and crossed his arms over his chest. You're trying my patience, Laird Campbell. I insist we stick to the issue at hand. Something Grandmother Sorsha had told her once rang loud in her head. Victims are exploited. Never cower. Brina pulled back her shoulders, drew herself up to her full height, and eyed the Campbell head on while feigning a smile. Laird Campbell, my father and I are honoured you have allowed us into your keep. We do apologise for our unexpected appearance at your door, and beg of your kind benevolence a place to sleep and some food, so we may take our leave, allowing you and Master Dunbar to discuss clan affairs. Brina fought to keep her gaze unwavering even when his eyes bulged and his face reddened. She'd no doubt been impertinent for opening her mouth. If Egan Dunbar, accompanied by the fifty Dunbar retainers outside, hadn't been their escort, she'd be about to suffer a good lashing, or worse. The Campbell gave her the cut direct. 
He barked at one of the sentries to take her and Craig to the head of household in the kitchen. Well, at least they wouldn't starve. She shouldn't care that the Campbell hadn't deigned to address her. Had she intended to exchange a few meaningless words with the man who had robbed her of her parents? No, not a man, a murderer, one who insulted without provocation, dismissed for the sheer pleasure of it and threw hostility about like it was good cheer. Her intention for this introduction to the Campbell to mean more than it should was inconsequential, just as she was insignificant standing in his solar. Nothing would ever alter the cold hollowness that had shredded her innards since she was six because of what he'd done. As the Campbell sentry accompanied Brina and Craig to the kitchen, Loud footfalls tailed them. Brina peeked backward. Alban and a frighteningly large Dunbar retainer whom Egan had ordered to escort them followed. Brina nodded at the Dunbar retainer and eyed Alban as the corners of her mouth turned up. Alban, I thought that was you. It's a pleasure to see you again. A smile stretched across Alban's face as he blinked and Shyness pulled his gaze down. It's nice to meet you again too, mistress. She cringed at her second lie. It's such a comfort to have you and the Dunbar retainers with us. Are you to escort us at all times? Master Dunbar said we are not to leave your side under any circumstances. Alban puffed out his chest and lifted his chin. Despite his eagerness, she hoped evading them wouldn't prove difficult or land him in a pickle with Egan. Upon arriving at the kitchen, the guard ordered them to wait at the entrance. He disappeared into an adjoining scullery where muffled voices could be heard. The pitch rose, but the actual words were masked by the adjoining walls. From the crescendo of a woman's voice, she was not pleased. The guard exited the room and walked past them with a pinched expression. Behind him came a tall, older woman, her grimace adding to her already severe aspect. Brina figured that even a tornado couldn't remove the ramrod straightness of her posture. She now understood why the keep was unkempt. The woman's harassed appearance hinted at little help and a mountain of work. She turned her hooked nose up at Craig. My name's Hilda. I'm the head of household. I'll show you where you can bed down for the night. As your arrival is late, the kitchens are closed, but I'll ask the cook if there's aught left. We are pleased to meet you, Hilda. We are healers travelling with the Dunbars. I am Craig Maxwell, and this is my daughter. Healers? She eyed them as if she'd detected a foul stench. Brina recalled the Campbell's reaction. Did all the Campbells dislike healers? Yes, we are. Craig answered with nonchalance. Follow me. I'm to treat you as guests of the Dunbars, Hilda said, her tone clipped as if she wanted to add, regardless of my thoughts on the matter. Brina hurried after Craig, who rushed to catch up with Hilda. We have several spices, herbs, tinctures, salves and poultices for sale. We cultivated and harvested them ourselves, only the highest quality, mind you. Hilda kept marching at the pace of a small charging battalion without a word or a backward glance. Craig carried on with his pitch. 
Could we interest you in some fresh citronella and mint tinctures? They are good for headaches. We also have dill and hyssop tinctures for cough and colic. They've gotten rid of my coughs countless times. Then there are the marigold poultices for burns and dry skin, and we... We have no need for such things! Hilda's terse response silenced Craig. As they followed Hilda to their bedchambers, Rena couldn't help comparing the woman to the Chatelaine at Castle Duntholm. The latter a warm summer's breeze, and the former a frosty winter's hail. It looked like Brina would need a few extra layers of backbone, a warm cloak of cunning, and a cap of confidence to get through the days to come. Chapter 5 Egan flexed his fingers against the onslaught of irritation as he eyed Alistair Campbell. The man's indignant scowl was even darker now than when he'd first arrived. His peevish attitude was proving an obstacle. Alistair was known for his deceit and cunning. Egan didn't trust him or anyone on call for that matter. This distrust had demanded he send Alban and Keith to watch over Brina and Craig. Egan's duty to his sire to keep the peace wrestled with his aim for justice for his dead men Callum and Brodie. This craving for action almost overpowered him, but though the Campbells had killed his men in the most dishonourable way possible, in the dead of night when they were unarmed, he had to honour his sire's wish for peace. It took all his fortitude to push the images of the grief-stricken faces of the widows and fatherless bairns to the back of his mind, where they joined a burdensome conscience. Egan leaned against the hearth, one hand on the mantel and the other on his hip. Alistair took a swig of ale and slammed his mug down on the wooden table, causing it to rattle. The men who were part of the skirmish on your lands are out hunting. I don't ken when they'll return. The cords twanged in Egan's neck. Customarily, how long do these hunting trips last? It depends if the hunt is successful or not, doesn't it? It could be two days, it could be a fortnight. I'm no gypsy fortune teller. Egan didn't succumb to the posturing. A judicious clan chief wouldn't demonstrate such a blatant disinterest in his men's whereabouts, and Alistair was judicious, if nothing else. How long ago did they leave? Two days. In all likelihood, Alistair ordered them to a hunt to avoid their presence when Egan arrived. Adrenaline pulsed through Egan's veins, grating on his patience and propelling heat through his body. Did they leave before or after you received my missive? After? How the hell was I to know you'd want to speak with them? My word should be good enough. I know my men. They are honourable. Therefore, fault for the skirmish has to lie with your men. What utter bollocks. Egan was quite certain Alistair had not only arranged for his men to attack on Dunbar territory two weeks ago, but was fully aware and could account for their every move. He itched to put his fist through the other man's jaw. Then I am your guest until your men return. If their hunting trip takes longer than three days, I'll be forced to go find them. Alistair's eyes bulged at Egan's threat. He backhanded his wooden mug, which flew across the solar in a wide arc. 
It crashed against the stone wall. Rivulets of amber liquid streamed down the wall, making tiny puddles on the stone floor. Both the Campbell's guards shot up at attention. Alistair slapped one hand against the tabletop and clawed his chest with the other as his loud breathing ripened into coughs. Egan failed to see the levity, despite the tug of a sardonic grin. The solar door swung open, and Dougray, who'd been standing guard, scanned the chamber, sword in the hand, eyes alert. Dougray was one of the strongest and most astute of the Dunbar's retainers, when he wasn't itching for a fight or chasing light skirts. The two Campbell guards fumbled for their swords. Their ineptitude caused Egan to grin again, this time with genuine levity. If he'd given the command, they'd both be dead before they'd even drawn their weapons. Stand down, Dougray. Alistair just has a little indigestion, Egan said. Alistair's hacks grew louder as if in protest. Dougray nodded and stepped back outside, but not before scoffing at the two Campbell guards. You expect me to feed your men for three days, Alistair said after the coughs subsided. My men are skilled hunters. They can feed themselves. The glare in Alistair's gaze flattened despite the persistent sneer. The coughs had taken the fight out of him. He was averse to feeding them for three days from his own larder, but didn't object to them hunting on his lands. Egan halted his discussion and exited the solar. Dougray strolled alongside Egan as they accompanied a Campbell guard to locate the head of household. The eerie passageways and foulness of the keep made Egan wish for a night out in the fresh air under the stars. Dougray appraised their surroundings, then whispered, not a lot of Campbells about. Egan kept his voice low. Alistair claimed a number of his men are out on a hunt. For Jacobites or food? The lack of crops, livestock, and other means of food production on Campbell territory suggested the Campbells made their coin fraternizing with the British. They presumably earned bounties for Jacobite hunting, or the British could simply forgive their tax obligations. One thing was for certain. The Campbells weren't industrious enough to make coin by other means. Some clans coordinated shipbuilding ventures, while others got involved in small-scale production of local goods like distilleries. Egan raised a hand to rub the back of his neck when thoughts of butchering neighbouring clans flooded his head. They were simple farmers trying to raise their families, their only crime had been to lend a supporting hand to Charles Edward Stuart, leader of the Jacobites. In the end, the unhappy truth was the butcher Lord Cumberland, leader of the British army, had trained his men well. They were too many and too well-funded to lose to his countrymen. Some were of the opinion that the Battle of Culloden had crushed the rebellion, but others, like Egan, still had faith that wasn't the case. If they are hunting for Jacobites, then they have no need to hunt for food, do they? Egan said. Then they're not simply traitors to Scotland, they're lazy traitors. Egan smirked. That sounds about the whole of it. There's a rumour that Campbell himself, not many days back, knifed one of his own men in the back after the man dared question him. Never trust a Campbell, Egan muttered. 
from your skull after the meeting with Alistair, I presume we'll be staying longer than was planned. I'll make it as short a stay as possible. But Campbell will never admit his men were responsible. His father's edict for peace rang in his head. He exhaled in slight frustration. This journey was necessary nonetheless. Dugray had been hankering for a fight since Callum and Brodie's deaths. His lips lifted to bare his teeth. Their incompetence will make the win less satisfying, but just give the order and we can annihilate them. Let us not get down in the muck with them. At least, not yet. When they arrived in the kitchen, the Campbell guard bid them wait, for he had to locate the head of household. Egan assessed the kitchen. The utensils, pots and pans were old, crooked and sparse compared to their kitchen at Aelina Castle. Rena and the old man wouldn't have much success selling their merchandise to a clan that couldn't afford decent kitchen supplies. What about this friend of theirs? Curiosity crept into his gut. He hadn't missed the way something seethed beneath the surface when Brina addressed Alistair. It was clear Brina was built with metal and tenacity, taking on sentries and lairds alike. But what was she and the old man about? Dagon had presented her as a Macrae several months ago, so it baffled him that she introduced Craig Maxwell as her father. Did it not occur to her he'd remember the details, or was he the one who was mistaken? Should he send a missive to Dagon for clarification as to whether she was a Macrae or a Maxwell? Too intrusive. He could simply ask her. But that had put her on guard if she was dissembling, and Egan didn't want her to caution herself. At least, not around him. He mulled over her amber eyes, the colour of his favourite Ushkaba, and the way she'd bitten down on her lip, giving it the hue of a ripe peach. Getting the last to give up her secrets stirred something primal inside him. Chapter 6 Hilda showed Brina into a tiny windowless bedchamber, which was more like an oversized closet. The candle Hilda lit threw the stifling space into flickering light. A small pallet with its coarse blanket eyed Brina from a corner. The sight of it made Brina's skin itch. She was about to deposit her portmanteau atop the stool at the foot of the pallet, but reconsidered when she noticed the left leg was slightly shorter than the right. Stale dust hovered in the air. Brina rubbed her nose in anticipation of a sneeze that didn't come. Brina set her portmanteau on the floor and turned to face Hilda, trusting her smile was adequately amiable. Since the cook has retired for the night, I could go down and scrounge up something to eat myself. There's no need to disturb the cook. Maybe she could determine something about the guard's schedule or even the location of the dungeon if she could strike up an accord with Hilda. Hilda narrowed her gaze. We don't allow strangers to scrounge in our kitchen. Brina cleared her throat, grasping for another approach. We'll be here for a few days. I'd welcome the chance to make myself useful if your keeper of the wardrobe has extra mending or general sewing. Hilda pinned her with a stare as if she were a skunk. We are quite capable of performing our own duties. 
From what she'd observed, that was not the case. But Raina wasn't going to point that out. Well then, mayhap I can do the- I'll have the cook send up your supper, Hilda cut in, then made an about face that would have made a field marshal proud. Keith, the large Dunbar retainer Egan had assigned to escort her, stood outside. The man was built like a mountain and could hold a conversation like one as well. If it were at all possible to sleep in this keep, it would be with this man guarding her door. It was unfortunate, however, that safety wasn't her only worry at the moment. Brina gave the man a cursory nod and slid her chamber door closed. With the lightest fingers possible, she slid the bolt shut, ignoring the tremor in her hands. If the Campbells found out what she was about to do, they wouldn't hesitate to execute her. Rena took in her surroundings, hoping that she would see some sign of her mother. She did not. Had her mother been in this chamber? Had they taken her life in this very keep? She swallowed the rush of emotions that preceded the memories of past witch hunts, and then there were the ghastlier stories Sorsha had told her to impress upon her the repercussions of witchery among non-witches. The worst of her memories involved her childhood friend Rowan McNeil. The McNeil family had been driven out of Kilmuir village. They'd been branded witches after a jealous friend of Rowan's grandmother had reported her as a witch to the authorities. She hadn't seen Rowan since. She missed her. With Hilda on her way to instruct the cook to send supper, she had to be quick. Brina swore a long time ago she would never use witchery for healing, for personal gain, or in places where she would be discovered. The consequences were too high a price. She didn't want to meet the same fate as her mother or Rowan. Nonetheless, it appeared necessity was about to make her break part of that oath. Was her father being held in the Campbell's dungeon? Since she was six, she'd been led to believe her parents had been in a fatal accident. But then three weeks ago, she'd found out that her mother, in fact, had been executed for witchcraft and a murder that never happened, and that her father had been thrown in the Campbell's dungeon by Alastair. Perspiration formed on her brows now, and tears welled up in her eyes. Why had Craig and Madeline waited nineteen years to tell her this? because her parents didn't want her to know, they'd said. Why? She blinked the tears away. Well, she needed to know. She picked up her portmanteau and flicked the two latches open. She inhaled the familiar assortment of herbal scents, ranging from earthy to sharp and exotic. Rena grabbed the nettle leaves, the sprig of rue, cumin seeds, and the red hair ribbon. She planted them on the table with its water-filled chipped ewer and burning tallow candle. Ignoring the tightness in her chest and dryness in her mouth, she poured three cups of water from the ewer into the basin, then added the nettle, rue and cumin. Brina lifted the candle from its holder and placed it to stand in the centre of the basin, now two-thirds filled with water and the floating herbs. She knotted the red ribbon around the middle of the candle. Clearing her mind, she focused on the candle and its melting wax. Is my father in the Campbell's dungeon? Her voice was a strained whisper. As the wax melted, it dripped into the herb-sprinkled water. 
the droplets formed two separate lines. Then one of the lines branched out and touched the other. Brina's eyes narrowed at the familiar H. The rune symbol, Hagalaz, foretold of destruction and change. She exhaled in a rush of impatience. But destruction and change of what? Since she'd been taught the art of divination by Sorsha, the signs had plagued her with endless ambiguities, not to mention the fact that her question was almost always ignored, and instead a vague indication of future events was provided. Sorsha would be disappointed her skills hadn't advanced. Would consulting with the stones yield a clearer answer? She reminded herself she wasn't eager for more ambiguities, nor did she relish discovery by the Campbells. She removed the ribbon and returned the candle to its holder. Brina plopped down on the pallet, not surprised at its hardness. She rested her elbows on her knees and let her forehead fall onto her open palms. If the Campbell's keep was in such a poor state, she didn't like to think of the condition of their dungeon. She shuddered as coldness coated her spine. She had to find her father and take him away from this horrid place. That Laird Campbell is one intimidating guy. It definitely seems like he knows more than he's letting on. Could he really have something to do with her mother's death? Stay tuned to find out. So don't forget to subscribe to CamCat Unwrapped. If you don't want to miss a beat, listen to Bewitching a Highlander now on the audiobook platform of your choice. All our books are also available in print and ebook formats on camcatbooks.com or wherever books are sold. You can find Roma Corden on social media at Roma Corden. And make sure you follow us at CamCat Books. Tune in to hear all our audiobooks as we release them right here on CamCat Unwrapped as serialized podcasts. The first two episodes of every book can always be found here, but subsequent episodes will be available for free listening only for a short time after their release. After that, they'll be gone. But don't worry, the audiobooks are available for purchase on Audible and other major retailers. CamCat Unwrapped also offers other CamCat books as podcasts. Check out our background episodes where we unwrap exclusive content relating to our books, including interviews with the authors, editors, and other industry professionals. Before you go, please take a moment to leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. Thank you. Tune in again to CamCat Unwrapped, because CamCat Unwrapped is where book lovers meet.